Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, good evening, everybody. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 19. Verse 19. Lord, tonight we ask you to help us to humble ourselves before your throne of grace. Allow us, Lord, the favor of your Holy Spirit, God, that you've promised to come and give us grace in time of of need. Help us to be transparent before you, Lord, without pretense. To show humility, Lord, and to recognize our great need for you. Some come here tonight, Lord, be just beaten up by the world, stretched their, to their limit, Lord, emotionally through different kinds of anxieties. And we come to you, the river of living water, Lord. And we are needy, we are a thirsty people, Lord, and we would see Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Well, verse 19 is where we'll begin. But first, got to tell you in this tag team worldwide federation of pastor teacher thing i i'm fortunate to have this um, topic uh, when they were handing them out of the meeting i wanted to you know lay back in the weeds a little bit and and by saying please 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 give me the application please please because this for me is the crucial portion as as i think we will see uh, of the series because you can come into this room or any room like it in here bible information on an endless series of Sundays and Wednesdays, but if you fail to plug it in, it seems so obvious. It seems so simple, but it it clearly is not happening in large part. Because if it were, we'd have a, a city of flame for Jesus Christ. Now, he's doing a wonderful work here, and we don't want to diminish that. Many of you are serving faithfully and loving fully and sacrificing and all. But very often in many churches worldwide, the 80-20 principle is in play. That is, that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Same is true of giving, and I won't belabor the statistics or the surveys, but that is basically a maxim. So as we come to the book of James, I'm just thrilled tonight because I, I could camp out in the first chapter of James permanently. In fact, I know a pastor in Southern California years ago who did. On Thursday mornings, he would teach every Thursday morning to about a thousand people. And you say, what is he teaching in James? Oh, that's a big surprise. And as far as I know, I don't think he ever got out of that. I think that he went to heaven teaching in James as far as I know. He is is a very practical uh, passage of scripture that we have before us tonight. Our goal tonight is take that final and crucial step in studying the Bible, learning to change our lives biblically. And that's the mega thought I want to emphasize tonight. Your life can change biblically. Whatever you brought into this room tonight, whatever kind of baggage or anxiety or worry or temptation or depression or relational dysfunction, Your life can begin to change tonight. There's only one place you can affect real, lasting, and permanent change, and that's at the foot of the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit as he embeds his holy word into your life. The book of James, the first chapter in particular, is the acid test of the Christian faith. Now, if you're making the mistake of an endless series of lectures as being your church experience, uh, you're mistaking that and miscalculating it as a being a living, growing member of the Church of Christ, you have indeed miscalculated. And you are what we will see as only a hearer of God's Word. Now that's good, but it's not good enough. Conduct is always the infallible test of true serving faith. So to have the topic of application for me is like uh, giving a boy a toy because this is what I believe in. This is what gets me up in the morning, what fires my jets and kicks my tires and all the rest of that. 
Because I, I'm a pragmatist. I believe in action. Not unplanned action, but strategic action. I believe Jesus was a leader of action. He didn't just sit in a temple theoretically tossing down maxims and principles. He could have, as the Greek gods did. No, he was walking by foot from Jerusalem to the Galilee, around the sea, and going to Capernaum. He was a man of action, a man of leadership, a man of demonstration. He didn't just preach. He exhibited the power and the principles that he taught. And his followers were too. For all you can say about Peter, he got out of the boat. He stepped out on the water. And Paul, God had to nearly hogtie him and give him a temperature of 110 to stop him from going places. He was always in action. I believe we need to be men and women of action, known for our compassion, marked for our grace, but driven by the times in which we live. The days are short. The times are here. And it begins with us. Judgment begins in our home. So we're on a search tonight to uncover a practical path to making real changes in our lives biblically. That will change us, affect our immediate family, and potentially rock the world. Now, in reference to our series titled Spiritual Cooking 101, to not be a doer of the word as we shall see is the equivalent of cooking a gourmet meal, spreading it out, planning the recipes and all the rest, but never eating it. And worse, never serving it to any of your friends, never offering it. And I'm afraid so many spiritual meals are prepared meticulously and presented with great care and never really digested. And that's a tragedy. That's the gap we'll see tonight. Now, you never want to go to a restaurant where you see the the chef going to lunch somewhere else. That's a bad sign. (laughs) And the same should be true of us. We want to be people who eat what we prepare. We want to be, be, we've been equipped over the past weeks on how to approach the Bible. And we must recognize that God wants to change your life, change it incrementally, but change it consistently, but above all, change it biblically. So let's begin by reading our text tonight, verse 19 of James chapter 1. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So our title tonight is The Man in the Mirror. Let me start with a scuba diving story, a true one, about two young guys in the Caribbean who love scuba diving. And they went on the charter boats. They had their open water certification. And they just really enjoyed scuba diving so much so they went out and bought their own boat. On their very first dive, there were just two of them out anchored in the crystal blue Caribbean waters. And one was taking photos and one was, was ship fishing for, for lobsters on, on the uh, ocean floor. And if you know about scuba diving, positive buoyancy is very important, how you weight yourself, how you adjust your buoyancy. And so the one was taking photos of the reef. The other caught two huge lobsters, put them in his game bag, and they, they surfaced as they should, they should. But he didn't recognize that lobsters weigh about five pounds each with the shell, and that changed the whole dynamic of, of what he was trying to accomplish in getting out of the water. He made the criminal mistake as he got out of the water without a dive master, of throwing his scuba dive gear up onto the boat, which you never should do until you're in the boat. Well, that motion pushed him forward, and the lobster pulled him back. And he sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Now, this was in a diving magazine, and it was analyzed by a master diver as what might have happened because he ended up tragically dying and drowning on the ocean floor. And the master diver speculated that he did learn the skill of removing his weight belt instinctively And that he thought for a moment, maybe I'll save the lobster. And he did, but he lost his life. 
And he said, he failed, get this term, I love this term, he failed to overlearn a survival skill. He should have automatically just gone, woof, and the lobster and the weights would have been gone. He would have shot to the surface with his wetsuit and been saved. But he failed to overlearn a survival skill. I think some of us fail to instinctively overlearn spiritual survival skills. And James points that out here in our text tonight. He says that it is a dangerous thing to go into the Word and not make a conscious, rational, consistent decision to ask yourself questions about what you're going to do with this information. Point of fact, James is telling us in this text tonight that every time you come into this room or you go into your private devotions or into a family study, one of the first and foremost questions you should be asking yourself is, what now? In fact, John MacArthur tells the story of a pastor, not this one, who was complimented coming down from a a teaching, which often is the case. But he's a little more blunt than many of us are. and and, And the person said, Pastor, I really enjoyed that message. It was really terrific. He said, what are you going to do with it? That's pretty blunt, but it's pretty potent and it's pretty true. That's the issue. It's easy to hear a great message because hours and hours have been spent in the study by pastors preparing it and and, and positioning it and going through the text and going through the original language and commentaries and prayer and meditation. And it's not just a 45-minute lecture on a Sunday morning. It's an opportunity, a pivot point for you to change your life. That's what God wants to do. The Word is so powerful, so capable. And we are often, well, I really think one of the great mysteries in eternity will be how we did so little having been given so much. I mean, think about the freedom, the opportunity, the inventory of resources we have. That if we covenant together, as we see in the book of Acts, and hold things in common spiritually, have a common goal and spiritual principles... What will be withheld from us? That was the outtake of a a Trinity conference back on the plains of Babel. Boy, if they're all together of one mind and one spirit, nothing will be withheld from them. I mean, the Romans would have had Mac computers and atomic weapons. uh, But God retarded that process. But he set it loose. He's unleashed us now with an incredible opportunity, a a toolbox of, of weapons to give his love away as never before. Well, you can change your life biblically, but we must understand, I think this is such a critical distinction to make tonight, you must understand the difference between knowing and learning. You may know, have an inventory, an archive of a tremendous amount of biblical information. You may have all your Bible from 30,000-foot notebooks meticulously taken and, and cataloged. But people, at the end of the day, if you haven't asked yourself, What am I going to do about this? If you haven't recognized the biblical imperative that to whom much is given, much is required, uh, we're going to be in difficulty. We're going to be in spiritual lethargy. We're going to find ourselves drowsy. And I want to make this perhaps a wake-up call that if you're enduring Bible study and not enjoying it, that's not God's intention. That if if you are, are coming to church because you have to, And not because you want to. That should be a red flare in your life that there's a spiritual storm warning brewing. That it should be a spiritual adventure walking with the Lord. We should be experiencing His freshness in a regular basis. Seeing growth periodically, plateau certainly, but God is is taking us on. We are to move, the Bible says, from glory to glory. Is that indicative of your life? It needs to be. And best of all, it can be. There are styles of learning. Not everybody is good at learning through the lecture style. That's a way efficiently and economically of getting information. But we have to go beyond that to the visual, to the graphic, to taking notes, and then the participatory, the lab experience. Now, doctors don't go from the classroom to the operating room. There's a little thing in the middle called internship. Real important time. Uh, because they have to take the theoretical and make it practical. What comes from the pulpit is the life of this church. It's where God speaks. And if we take it lightly, we really are missing out on something from the very throne of heaven, because this is how God counsels his people, guides his people, gives vision to his people, sometimes chastises his people, sometimes encourages them. 
But this is where it begins. A very, this, is the, this is ground zero, the nuclear fission place of where God speaks to his people in, in this fellowship of believers. But beyond that, the ripple effect cannot be left in the parking lot. That's why he says to us right here, and we'll go through this text, but the, the, the crucial crux is right here. If anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man observing himself in the mirror, deceiving, it says earlier, deceiving his, his own self. You can come to church, you can give, you can get your ticket punched and be present and still be deceived about what your responsibility as a believer is. Now, this is a a ministry built on God's grace, built on God's love, built on the fact we need to earn nothing to have the assurance of eternity. But this is not a works passage. This is a reality check. If all these things be true in God's word, the question is, what's up? I was in broadcast training years ago in Los Angeles. Went through a sales drill. Never forget it. We went around the table, a bunch of guys in ties, executives, and we'd have to tell a benefit of our station. And the station manager, the sales manager rather, would would, uh, stand over us. And if we didn't say a benefit that was good for the client, everybody had to yell out at you, so what? And it was kind of demeaning. Uh, It was kind of like a fraternity deal. But we should be shouting that out in our quiet time. We come to a nugget in the book of Psalms. We should be saying, so what? What does that mean to me, God? Speak to me. Show me. This is your inspired, inerrant word. This is not just an exercise in doing my quiet time. This is, a, this is an interaction with the holy. You're in touch with the divine. God wants to lead you and guide you and change you. They say every seven years your body is regenerated. The cells change completely. How many of you have changed spiritually in the past seven years? How different are you today from what you were seven years ago, besides the obvious effects of just a few years of aging? How's your spirit been evolving, if I can use that term? How's your, are you becoming more mature in the faith? Or if you're a man, are you becoming a father in the faith to others? If you're a woman, are you becoming an example to other women, especially to the many single women in our community? See, we should be growing and changing just as certainly as we change physically. Well, knowing, just having information. We have a lot of that. Learning is being able to embed it into our life, begin to observe and interpret as we've seen in past weeks. And then we come to our phase tonight. That's understanding and applying. Now, in college, I'm sure you never did this, but I crammed for exams. Um, I, I stayed up late the night before, got all the information in, I spewed it out on the test, got a decent grade, and promptly pretty much forgot about 80% of it. I'm afraid we, we have that same habit and that technique in our spiritual life. Well, let me say this. Before you stand before the beam of seat of Christ, there's not going to be any cramming. There won't be any time to stay up late night and eat pizza and drink Red Bull and cram for the exam. <laughs> because that moment's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. And you're going to be there alone and be square, and you'll have the opportunity to explain what you did with Jesus. And now your, your faith in him assures you a place in eternity. Your service of him determines your reception in eternity. That's a whole different deal. Well, um, being committed to God's word is something that should come naturally to this family. Uh, the, the, the quality of the feeding, uh, the, the, the clarity of the doctrine, uh, the, the, the vision being so definite. But there's a, a difference between being committed to God's word and being under God's word. You see, you can be committed to the fact that it's an errant in the original autograph and all the rest that we know about the theology and the different omnis. You can be committed to those empirical facts without being under, being submitted to God's word. That's what James is talking about here. The person that that looks in the mirror in verse 23 is a person who just gets the data and thinks, oh, I've heard a spiritual lecture. I've gone to church. But the, the learner and the knower and the applier takes that information, not only commits to it intellectually, but submits to it spiritually and says, okay. Now, the book of James has really three quick litmus tests in chapter one. I want to focus on ours primarily, but I've, I've got to give lip service to the first two because he holds up the Christian life to his, his book and says, let's see in the harsh light of, of spiritual reality where you're at. He says, first of all, how do you respond to trials? 
The trial, by definition, is when your will collides with what God allows to come into your life. How you respond to that, James says, is indicative of where you are spiritually. We should count it all joy. They are inevitable. Because our will is not lined up with God's will. It skews all over the place. When it does, that's when we get on track. Secondly, he says temptations. Temptations are, are part of the human life as a test. How do you respond to temptations? Do you realize that God has given you the power to overcome them? And thirdly, and most in view for our text tonight, how do you respond to the Word of God? That is a telltale sign of your spiritual condition. Trials, temptations, and obedience. These are the, the holy three of, of the first chapter of James. So we're looking at the issue of obedience tonight. So it's a true test of your spiritual condition, how you conduct yourself. And so our focus comes in verse 19, and we we have really come in between verse 19 and the rest of the passage, what I call the grand canyon of the Christian life. People who stand on one side with a great deal of biblical data and people who are on the other doing what the data implies. And that's what we need to be about in the Father's business. And so we, I fear sometimes, and this church is, thank God, an exception, have churches full of spiritual spectators watching paid staff perform. And this is not the biblical paradigm. And so they have people who have forgotten what God has called them to be. This runs contrary to the very words of Jesus who said, He that loves me keeps my commandments. He's asking rhetorically, does your belief behave? Also in a very provocative question, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Why are you a forgetful hearer? Why do you listen to so much information about me and then totally disregard it in your day-to-day activities? Well, further, remember our job description as a church is found in Matthew 28.20. Teach them to observe all things he said that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What a fabulous promise. So on Wednesday nights the past 20 months or so, you've received the full counsel of God's word. And that's such a privilege. Such a privilege. You know, people often come and kind of have the works trip mentality. What do I have to do? Okay, you've talked me into it. You've made me feel a little bit guilty. You've motivated me. Wrong question. Not interested. The right question is, what am I allowed to do? What can I do in the church? You mean you're going to let me serve the Lord? You're going to allow me to be a part of this? That's the proper attitude. Understanding and comprehending the privileges we have been given to serve the Lord. Jesus said, my, my burden is not heavy, my yoke is light, it's easy, and it, it, the servant of the Lord must not strive. And Zechariah, we're told in, in the Old Testament, rather, that it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So our mantra should be the very simple thing we teach every school of ministry student, one of the first things we teach them. And you should carve it on your kitchen table, write it on your neighbor's notes tonight. Uh, never forget it. It's, very, it's, very, and it's not some high theological lofty principle of Bible study. It's very simple. I can rattle it off for you. You should memorize it. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? How does that apply to my life? Those three things are revolutionary. When you sincerely and genuinely begin asking yourself those questions as you go through the Bible, as you're sitting here on Sunday mornings, you have that outline in parallel with the outline you've been given. And you allow yourself to get some traction in your own day-to-day affairs. What does that mean at work? How does this impact the trials I'm facing financially? How does it affect my sex life with with my spouse? How does it affect my relationships with my children? And then... God begins to put his spiritual claws, if you will, and begin to really get hold of your life and and lift you up on, on the wings of eagles. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? How does it apply to my life? It's possible to be around God's word a lot, to be very familiar with it, to traffic in truth, and never really be submitted to God's word. So, um... 
if change were so easy, we'd all just change instantaneously. The reason we don't change, the reason it's so easy to look at yourself in the Word of God as we see tonight and walk away from it, is we have deeply ingrained habits that we have nourished, cherished, practiced, made instinctive. I mean, we wonder why, why it's so difficult to affect spiritual change sometimes. We have spent years practicing sin. We, we, we have uh, coddled carnality for decades. Uh, we have given ourselves over to the pleasures of the flesh just without measure. And then we come to one counseling appointment and say, Okay, God, change me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's not how biblical change is affected. Now, there may be some dr- dramatic wholesale changes at different points in your Christian life. I experienced some of those. It's got to remove destructive behaviors and, and, and appetites from me. But beyond, beyond that, uh, it's a process of taking baby steps. You didn't get into the condition you're in overnight, and God may not lead you out of it overnight. It may have, it's taken you perhaps years and decades and more to get where you're at in your worldview, in your, your thought life, in the grid you run things through, in the program you use to process data about how you make decisions. God has to begin gradually sometimes for your own sake to change that, to wash it, to begin to replace it with his principles. And we'll see how to principalize a text here in a moment. But those three things uh, really are crucial. So we struggle. We have to unlearn certain behaviors. We have to extinguish learned responses. We have to write over certain codes that have been deeply embedded into our programming. And um, we don't overdo decades of bad choices in a, in a single evening. We have overlearned bad habits, if I may use that from our scuba diving story. So we must get on a consistent program. Listen now. We must get on a consistent diet, a program of deliberately deleting counterproductive and even self-destructive behavior from our menu of choices. Take them off, delete them, put them in the trash and throw it away. Uh, The Bible calls engaging in that kind of behavior, listen, opposing your own self. You have met the enemy and he is you. We are oftentimes our own worst enemy. And so we need to develop... What James encourages here is spiritual muscle memory. It's a principle of the physical body. It takes you numerous times to groove a golf stroke, to practice a serve in such a way that you're just absolutely reflexive and instinctive about it. That's how our prayer life should be. That's how our call to accountability should be within the body. That's how we should be driven to our knees instinctively. We should overlearn those survival skills so we don't freak out when things begin to happen to us and we're overcome by anxiety, over, overcome by the worries of the world. We need to relearn these principles. Have you ever watched Andre Agassi or Pete Sampras, how they serve? They serve the same time at every single opportunity. I may borrow that analogy. We should learn to serve the same way instinctively when our, our, our spouse is hurting. We should go to meet their need and not be aggravated they aren't meeting ours. That would be a marital survival school, skill you'll need to overlearn. How did you learn anything? Ever watched an 18-month-old eat a banana? And, <laughs> and finally, they get in here. Oh, that worked. Trial and error. So next time, it's over here and then right in the mouth. They, they missed the forehead. Well, that's how we develop the same kind of muscle memory, memory spiritually. The first time you, you try to pray with somebody, maybe a little bit awkward. I'm learning more and more immediately. People have a need. I don't care if I'm in a parking lot, I'm in a restaurant. Why should I be awkward about praying to the Lord? Let's pray. Let's just pray about it. On the phone. Let's just pray about it. I don't always do it. It's it's not instantaneous. I'm trying to learn that, that skill. But I think it's very helpful, and it's beginning to change my life. So that muscle memory is, is grooving, putting that groove into your life of how you respond to trials, to temptations, and as we see tonight, to the Word of God. But you, you instinctively ask those three questions of yourself. Well, now, wait a minute. You listen to a, a vignette on, on the radio. You hear something on TV, or you, 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 you read a, a daily devotional on your email, and, and your mind just kicks into gear. Now, what does, what does that say? What does it mean? And even that little nugget... How can, I, how can I apply it between here and work? Lord, you begin to meditate on that. 
That becomes something you just kind of grind through on the day. Oh, the Bible says. I have a little book in my office called God's Psychiatry in Psalm 23. And it's a little, little very thin volume. It's, it just basically tells you to memorize and recite for X number of days, X number of times per day, Psalm 23. And one time, going through a difficult emotional time in my life, I resorted to it. I've tried everything else. So I began just learning and reciting and memorizing in every different version, all of every parallel Bible I had, Psalm 23. And when that emotional trauma would kick in, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes it an on. And at first, it seemed, frankly, it seemed kind of trite. Psalm 23, 24 times a day, once, once every hour, whatever the, the prescription was. But I have to tell you, it began to kick in. I, I began to begin thinking about, well, green pastures and still water, and he's my shepherd. And it, it wasn't immediate. It didn't solve the problem. The problem didn't change. I changed. My heart began to change. I began to be able to cope with the problem better. And ultimately, I overcame it. So God's Word is such a resource. And memorization, repetition, repetition. Let me say it again. Repetition. It, what, what's the best way they fly? All in this computer space age, what's the best way to learn your alphabet? A, B, C. They sing that song. They, all the different things they, they've got, that basic rep, repetitive song of singing it according to that chorus is the most powerful way to ingrain the alphabet into the human mind. Same that God instinctively knew that. And so he, he, he said to meditate upon his word. Think on it. Put, in fact, in the Old Testament, hang it on your forehead. Put it on your wrist. Put it on your doorpost. Say it going in. Say it going out. Say it getting up and say it going down. Because he knew it's powerful than any two-edged sword, able to accomplish what no human word or medicine or medication can do. God's prescription for human psychiatry. So, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. What, let me ask you a question. What's the biggest problem you've ever had? I'll, I'll tell you. You were going to hell because of your sins. Each of us was. Anyone here who's accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has resolved, has found a firing solution for that problem. That's a big problem. Sometimes I lay awake at night and and think about the times I was close to destroying myself before I became a Christian. And I break out into a cold sweat. I think of things I did, just insane things I did. And how God's grace protected me is a mystery. But God solved that problem for me. I know where I'm going. My, a, dear, a friend of ours last week had a massive heart attack. And just moments away from eternity. And talking to him, he said, I was ready. I, I, it was like I was ready to go. Just one, one heartbeat from eternity. Now, if you don't have that assurance, that's a problem. And by the way, tonight you can solve that problem. We'll give you that opportunity a little bit later. But if God's word, his spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can solve that problem... What bigger problem do you have he can't deal with tonight? Oh, my finances, you don't know how messed up they are. My relationships, my, my depression. I was born in a dysfunctional family. Newsflash, we all were. We were raised by humans. And unless you were raised by wolves, you don't get a pass on that one. So, if you want to live forever, accept Jesus. If you want reward in heaven, serve him fervently on earth. If you want financial security, be generous and wise with what God gives you. If you want a great sex life, live pure in your marriage. If you want your children to follow Christ, you follow him and you say, get, get in line. Those are the solutions God has for us. Those are the principles we come across in Scripture. Those are some of the hugest problems you find in the world today. We teach a Bible study on the radio about relationships, and the phones just light up. Year after year, it's just amazing. It's, I mean, it's not we're reinventing the wheel here. It's set in a fresh way. It's a different perspective and all, but it's just these are the issues. Relationships, finances, depression. And God's Word, as James refers to here, 
addresses each of them. So the baby steps, if I can borrow Dave Ramsey's approach, uh, is what we need to take. When the children of Israel came into the land, the Lord said to them, look, I'm not going to just give it to you completely. You're going to take it here. Little by little, you'll inherit the land. That's how God wants you to do it, step by step. Just, and, and wherever you put your foot, it will be blessed. Let's not make God's will so mystical and so mysterious. He said to Abraham, look, wherever you put your foot, I'm going to bless you. And we're all, oh, what's my calling? What is God call? I'm waiting for sky writing. Uh, <laughs> wherever you put your foot, you're going to be blessed. Step out in faith. Get busy for the Lord. And, and he'll guide you. He'll lead you. You knock, you seek, you ask. He's promised to answer. He won't leave you out on a limb somewhere. So, okay, our application tonight. Oh, this is, this is really terrific because here's it's a threefold principle I want you to get. Uh, James tells us, verse 22, look at it with me. Um, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's the crucial text. Uh, before this, and we've already referred to it in the previous weeks, he showed us how to receive the word with meekness, the engrafted word of God, able to save your souls. We've talked about the interpretation, not what all the languages tell you, that the word of God is inerrant, it is inspired in the original autograph. Okay, so you receive, you humble yourself before the word of God, as James tells us in verse 21, and then you commit yourself to submitting yourself to the principles of God's word. And when you do, gradually, God begins to reel you in and make you the man or woman he intends you to be. That's the process you're in. The Bible says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. It's not a question, you have to work this out on your own. This is his idea. Now listen, look at this. Here you are, and here God is. You are imperfect, he is perfect. He is on a consistent persistent, relentless campaign to make you perfect. And he will not give up. And in that day, you will be perfect. But between this day and that, God is going to continue to work on you, to rub iron against iron against people around you, and to refine you and to change you, and to work with you as much as you will cooperate with him. That's the only line he draws. He's asking you to be a willing participant in that process. So, there's a threefold way we change. First of all, you change personally. You must be a healthy sheep before you can reproduce healthy sheep. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. So, these changes that we are implying from this text of being a doer of God's word and not just a hearer, first of all, will radicalize you will change the architecture of your inner man, will rearrange the furniture in your spiritual house. Uh, it'll change your appetites. It'll change your friendships. It'll change your worldview. It'll change your financial priorities. All these things are benefits. All these things are making you what the best you can be. And by the way, when we blow it, when we marry the wrong person or we conduct our marriage in the wrong way, God never says to us, I told you so. He always says to you, I'll make you the best you can be from this point on. He's always reorienting his will and saying, from this point on, here's where we can go. Just cooperate with me. Just follow me. I'm your shepherd. He's always in the process of of not looking back except to teach lessons, but looking forward to perfect you, to complete you in Jesus Christ. So the personal application of, if you will, eating your own cooking and you become a healthy sheep, then that inevitably begins to impact people around you. Relationally, you begin to share with your family. Uh, if, you're in, if you think you're trapped in a loveless marriage tonight, you think you have a life sentence because you're with someone that you can't stand, with someone you, you can't deal with, there's hope tonight. There's great hope. Because if you follow the principles of Ephesians, and love that person with the love of Christ, you'll begin to melt their heart. Let me give you some advice. Tomorrow morning, get an index card and a cup of coffee. And write down 10 things that spouse loves to do. 
And you just give yourself over to doing them with them, for them, and to them. And I predict you'll begin to see a change in their life. The first thing on the list should be praying for them relentlessly. But God can inject, infuse his love into situations that are arid and deserted and begin to let them flow with living water. You know, we have all these things we've learned. Um, We keep truth sometimes in a trophy case, I think. Oh, here's omnipotence. And over here we have uh, omnipresence. And over there we we have the other theological things. We keep them all shiny. We know them. We try to remember who said them. And we can can look at the, the church fathers. All this information in this clean, hermetically sealed trophy case. Well, break the glass and get it out and let it into your life. You know, Jesus, Jesus isn't in a 50-50 proposition with his followers. He loves them 100%. He wants you to have all of him. He, he wants you, he wants, he, he's given his all for you. So any problem you have tonight, your children not walking with the Lord, fear over the future, guilt over the past, lack of power over a self-destructive behavior, James is saying, look in God's word. Stay, stare at it, gaze at it intently. Don't forget the promises. Don't lose the principles. Apply it to every possible facet of your life. Now, the Bible says about itself that the Bible, the Word of God, is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. That's a pretty inclusive short list. All things in the world, God is sufficient to address. There's no problem you have God hasn't thought of, uh, empowered you for, and prepared to solve. He has, a, he has a solution for your problems if you'll be patient, if you'll be faithful, and if you'll be prayerful. Remember, um, we need to, to look at the, the practical issues that you're facing tonight. Now, I've got a whole list here. I won't take the time to, to read them, but they go from adultery to worry, from A to W. There's no Z, but there's a lot of problems here. And God's Word is sufficient for all these things, whether you're facing depression, financial problems, gluttony, guilt, greed, right down the list. God's Word is sufficient for them. And he, He's given you opportunities to address them. So there is a biblical path for you tonight to find real peace and real joy as you change through God's Word. That's the take-home from the first chapter of James. Whatever the trials, whatever the temptations, the solution is found in God's Word. And here's how we take the first baby steps down that path. First of all, clearly we said, don't be a spectator. As you become a participant in every Bible study you engage in from this point on, you begin to constantly be fully, fully engaging your mind and your faculties. And just come and say, okay, teach me. You have to be open. You have to be prepared. Uh, you have to be prayerfully ready to receive from God's word. You have to be a cooperative participant. It's a two-way dialogue in a Bible study, not just a didactic teaching, but you should be responding as you receive. Now, what is that? now that reminds me of a scripture. Now, that's an experience I had. I won't do that again. Here's what God showed me back then. And then a Bible study then becomes a real, live, interactive experience between you, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit as he energizes it, as he, as he takes it and he pierces your heart and perhaps causes a rebuke or perhaps causes repentance, but it, you're, you're, in, you're in the mix. You're, you're engaged. You're in play. So as you approach Scripture from this point on, the way to not look in a mirror and forget about it is to look for these things. When you come to a text, when you hear a teaching, look for a, look for a principle. What, what is a principle I can wrap my mind around and tie the reins off and, and, and be secure? Look for a principle in the text. And, and right here, the principle is be a doer and not just a hearer. It's not enough to be in the pew. What happens when you leave? What do you do with the truth? To echo, so what? All right, find a principle. Look for a call to action. James tells us right here, if you are looking into the perfect law of liberty in verse 25 and you continue in it, that is a call to action. 
In other words, if we're going through a series on the nature of God, going through a, a series uh, about the Holy Spirit, going through a, a series about the, the uh, nature of Jesus Christ and the character of Him, it shouldn't be left with 45 minutes on Sunday morning. You should continue in that topic. Why? Because this is what the Spirit is saying to the church. It's not just an amputated segment of spiritual information once a week. It's something God is speaking to us as a body. And he's, he's working through the body. And it shouldn't be something we just leave and come back every week and revisit this topic. James calls us here to continue in it. And do not be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work as a call to action. So what would be something practical we could do from this text in our life this week? Well, maybe you have people around you in your family who don't understand this principle. You share it with them. Here's what I found out at church the other night, that if I principalize a text, and that's kind of an uh, aggressive word, that this finding out the, the major mega-thought God has within a passage. If I principalize a text and I continue to meditate in it, God will embed it in my life and it will grow and bring forth fruit. And so you begin to do that with your family. Now you're continuing in the perfect law of liberty. And what's the promise we find here? You look for the promise. You'll be blessed in what you do. So you've got a principle. You've got a call to action. And then you have a promise. But I have to say, I I left out the other part intentionally. You also have a warning. And that flips us right back up to what happens if you're a forgetful hearer. Basically, James says, and you always look for the warning as well, you're wasting your time. You're warming a seat, and it really is without value. Uh, I mean, the Word of God doesn't come back void, but you can go years and years and years and hear many, many spiritual lectures and just it, it bounce off you like you have kryptonite spiritually on. And that's not what we want to accomplish here. So uh, principalize the text, look for the warning, watch for the blessing, and pay attention to the call to action. And this is specific. And this is, whether you're in Genesis or Revelation, whether you're in the prophets or the Psalms, these, these principles of Bible application are universally applicable. And if you use them, I believe you'll find your time of Bible study, your time of listening to Bible study, your time of engaging it, coming alive, and the best thing in the world will happen, you'll become a communicator of these truths. Because the best teacher of, of golf is a person who's a golf instructor. Because they see the mistakes people are making. They become skilled in their own strokes, but they become able to teach others. And that's the goal here, to unleash you one person at a time upon Albuquerque and the ensuing world. Well, in the time remaining, we talked about personal impact of a biblical application we see here tonight. First of all, you become a healthy sheep. Then it splashes on others inevitably around you. They can't help it because they're living with you at home, at work. Um, in the community, and so those two, they begin to change. Healthy sheep uh, beget or reproduce healthy sheep. But then, this is, the, this is really the, the great part that I so much enjoy. It goes from your heart to your home to the world. Because the first two levels of impact of application, frankly, are self-beneficial. It's good when I have peace and joy in the midst of trials and all the rest. So that benefits me. And when my family follows the Lord, that, that edifies me. And when people at work and I are in good harmony because of, of God's love, that too, I find that beneficial. Ah, but the mature Christian takes it to the third level. They aren't satisfied just to be comfortable in their own heart. They aren't happy just to have their home in order. They want to do sacrificial application. And that's when you get out of your comfort zone. That's when you leave the lazy boy. That's when you leave quiet time and structured devotions and all the routines we have to keep our spiritual life intact and you go off and let God use you in some sacrificial way. You don't have to go. Oh, you have been sent, but it's a voluntary army. We've all been sent. I said Jesus was a goer, always going around Israel, going all over the place. What did he tell us to do? One simple word, a real short verb, go. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Now that should light you up. This is our call to action. This is the ultimate overreaching call to action the church has. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, let me ask you a real basic question. What part of the Great Commission are you playing tonight? How does your prayer life impacted um, by the Great Commission? How is your giving life ordered by the Great Commission? Do you give sacrificially? Uh, how is your time... 
on weekends. You, do you, have you ever gone to Mexico and gone, gone down to the missions down there and seen what God is doing? I've never failed to go on any mission trip anywhere in the world and not come back thinking I was a major receiver. As dozens of times I've, I've been places. I always come back thinking, wow, and I, I can't wait to go again. So that's sacrificial, but again, really, I was, I was benefited by it. But there have been times where it's been tough, and you put yourself where there are no 7-Elevens or Starbucks. Um, but personal application, don't forget who you are in God. Don't forget who you are in Jesus Christ. You are seated at the right hand of the, the deity on high. And, and the forgetful here, sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm not in a competitive phase of my life. I'm not out trying to win or, or ascend or, or climb up some ladder. I, wait a minute. I, 30 years ago, hey, I, God saved me out of the, the gutter. And everything I have been given to me. I'm such a recipient of grace. And, and it's not about me. And it's not even about us. It's about him and it's about them. Kind of... Shake my mind. Peter calls it stirring up your pure heart of remembrance. Wait a minute. What are we all about here? Trying to build an institution or trying to reach the whole world at whatever the cost. Paul said, by whatever means, go with the gospel. Those are our marching orders. I may not be the most fluent speaker, the most articulate uh, teacher, but I know this. I'm excited about the Great Commission. I know I've seen what God can do. And it's been a fabulous... um, Experience seeing him work here these, these decades, but I, I think he wants to see this multiplied. I know, I know he's not content. I don't think we should be. So a closing thought. Here, um, here is the ultimate application. It's not found in our text. I'll, I'll deviate from it just to end tonight because I, I, I thought long and hard about this. I thought, what is the ultimate application for a believer in Scripture? And there were many candidates. Uh, Martin Luther said he only has two dates on his calendar, today and that day. And if we live this day in light of that day, everything will be in order. So I thought maybe the ultimate application is preparing for the second coming of Christ. But I really am, am convinced it's not. It really is very simple and so basic, and you don't need any kind of a degree to get it. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now, that is an application. That's a very simple, fundamental call to action. But that will revolutionize your life. That will revitalize your Christian walk. Get a grip on the cross, pick it up daily, and follow him. Lord, tonight we are so grateful for the privilege of peering into your eternal word. How we need, Lord, to be directed, instructed, and guided, encouraged, Lord, and, and undergirded by it. I'm grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to share this time. Help us, God, now not to be forgetful hearers. We've seen so much. Help us to let it be deeply digested into our spiritual being, Lord, that it becomes part of us and allows us, Lord, to love you more and serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.